It's really wonderful to have you all in the building this morning and I hope that you're enjoying the aircon because it is very, very warm outside once again. I realize that for some of you, this might be the first time that you're back in the building for a very long time, um, having had our services open and closed and open and closed during COVID. And I just felt it was a good time just to remind you why things look a little bit different at Sterling since you've come back. Because some of the changes aren't purely um, as a result of COVID. It's in fact because we preached through a series in Acts and we reevaluated what we are or reaffirmed what we are devoted to as a church. And it caused us to relook at our services and to make sure that we prioritize all the things that we are devoted to as a church when we gather together on a Sunday. And so if we are devoted to the prayers, we want to make space for prayer in our service. And if we're devoted to fellowshipping as all generations, we need to make space for our kids in our services. And while that might be um, a little messier than what we are used to, it might be a little noisier than what we're used to, if we value it, we need to accommodate it. And so we're excited to have the kids in the building with us. We're excited for them to see what we stand for as adults and for that to inspire them in their own walk with the Lord. And so we hope that you will be excited about how church runs now, having all the kids in the service with us for the start, spending some time praying together. And then as we dig into God's word, our kids will go out and they will dig into it at an age appropriate level. And those that are older from grade five and up are now invited to stay in the service with the adults. But we know that they're still um, growing that muscle of what it means to sit through a sermon. And so we have provided some sermon notes. And so if you didn't get this clipboard and you're grade five and up today, or even if you're an adult and you have ADHD and you battle to concentrate for Joey's 30 minute sermon, you are welcome to go get a clipboard. It'll help keep you on point and it'll allow you to doodle um, so that you can focus through the whole sermon. You're welcome to make use of that as a tool if that will help you engage in the service. Then I have three announcements. So kids, will you help me keep track? I don't want to forget anything. So three things I need to bring to your attention as a church. The first one is just for the moms in the room. We have started a mom's book club. It's called Moms Connect, and it's because we want to parent with purpose. Kids, believe it or not, before we become moms and dads, no one gives us any training. And so we sometimes have to make this up as we go. And so we want to make sure that just like we would get trained uh, for the jobs we do, we want to make sure that we're training and equipping ourselves to be the best moms that we can be to our children. And so we've been working uh, through a book together at the end of last year, Some Moms, and we're going to start our next book together in the month of April. And so if you want to join us, the book we're going to be doing is called Becoming a Spiritually Healthy Family, and it is available for free on Kindle at the moment. And so if you want to join that book club, please would you download that book now before it stops being free, and uh, then we're going to start meeting together in April. We're going to meet together here at the church because we want to make sure that single moms also have access to this. And so if you're a single mom and you want to come and you need to bring your kids along with you, we will provide childcare. And so you just need to let Anita know when you're RSVP that you'll be bringing kids with so that we know to make sure that we have a babysitter here on site to take care of your children so that you can be fully invested in that time for yourself. So that's the first announcement. Secondly, Easter is coming up. And Easter is so much more than Easter eggs. Kids, there's a lot more to be excited about as we remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we want to invite you to our Easter services. We're going to gather on Easter Friday at 8 and 10 o'clock. And we will gather on Easter Sunday at our regular time slots of 8, 10, 30, and 6. And as always, because we're still limited to 100, we do need you to pre-register for all those services. The Good Friday registration is open and available on the website. And the Sunday services will open on Monday as usual in the week leading up to Easter. And so please do sign up for that. We would love to have you join us as we celebrate Easter together as the SBC family. Then I promised you a third announcement, and I have forgotten what it is. 
See, this is why I made sure I counted to three, so I would know that there was something missing. Volunteers. Sign-ups is close enough. So guys, church has started up again. Ministries are starting up. We're running our children's ministry program. Today, for the first time in months, we're going to start serving coffee, which I hope you're excited about. We want to start fellowshipping together again in a socially distanced, responsible way. But in order to make all these things happen, we need hands and feet to serve. And so right now, a lot of people aren't ready to be back at church. But those of you that are here, we need you to please get involved. If you're committed to joining us and gathering, then we need you to be committed to serving one another. And so we would love to have you sign up for a role. And so we've got children's ministry running for children from age three to grade four at the moment. We would love to reopen our creche, but we currently don't have enough volunteers to make that happen. We've got visuals that happens at the back of the room. We need a mixer for the sound, a visuals person to change the slides on screen, and a cameraman to move the camera and follow the preacher so that those that are still joining us from home can be a part of the service. We need a hospitality team that does the sign-ins as people arrive, who prepares and serves the coffee, and who neatens up the venue between our services. And so those are the current ways that you can get involved on a Sunday. But beyond that, we've got small groups that have started up again. We would love to have more small groups launch. Mark and the NextGen team have started running their um, youth programs during the week again, and they would love to have adults and young adults come and serve the next generation. And so if there's any way that you feel stirred to come and get involved, please chat to a member of staff and we will help you to see how we can make that practical for you. But we would love to see you being the hands and feet again um, as church opens up. That is it from me. I'm going to hand over to Mark, and we're going to spend some time praying together. Good morning, church. As Kerry so uh, um, eloquently explained, we have made prayer a value that we want, not just in our private spaces, but we also want it in this corporate public space and we want our children to be here present when we make that a value. We want them to see how important prayer is to us as families in this church. And so every week we're going to have this slot after the announcements where we're going to pray for a few minutes out loud together for something important before we head into the sermon. And this morning, Dane, I'm catching you off guard here a little bit. Do you mind putting that Easter slide up again? I want us to pray into this. This is significant. We believe that God is stirring us at the moment for evangelism. If you're listening closely, you'll hear it in the sermons. You'll hear it in the testimonies that are coming out from people. More and more, God is stirring us towards evangelism. And if you focus on that uh, little catchphrase, Easter, a hope to share. And what I want you to pray about now, we want to pray for the service coming up on uh, Easter Sunday. It's early April. It's not far away. The things that we want to pray for is that we would invite, as a church, people to Easter Sunday. People typically come to church on, on Christmas and Easter, even if they never come to church. So if you've ever felt like you should be inviting someone to church, this is a prime moment where they're probably going to say yes to you. So... I want you to think about now and pray for, Lord, would you put someone on my heart that I can invite to Easter Sunday? The gospel will be preached, and we want to share this hope that we have. We want to pray that God would move powerfully in our community at this time and use us to uh, share that hope. So I want you to stand to your feet, and this is 
what we're just going to pray for a few minutes out loud. No one else is listening to you. If you're on your own like Joe and myself, you just pray out loud by yourself. But if you're in a group with a family, you can pray together. Um, we're just going to pray, Lord, would you uh, use this Easter service to save people? Would you show us if there's anyone we should be inviting? Lord, if there's someone that I know I should invite, would you give me the courage to invite them to this Easter service? And may this be a time in our church where we share hope. Can we pray for those few things just for a few minutes out loud, and then I'll close um, the, the prayer time together. Wonderful to hear prayers lifted up to you for the lost. You said that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And even now, Lord, we're praying for this city of East London that you've called us to, that we've got a, a, a mandate to fill the city of East London with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we believe that you've placed us in a vineyard. You've placed us in a workplace. You've placed us in a family. You've given us friends. Not all of these people have yet responded to you. I want to pray, Lord, that even now, we would hear the Spirit laying names on our hearts and that there would be a courage and a boldness growing in the room to invite friends and family to this Easter Sunday service. Lord, we want to pray for it. We want to pray that you'd prepare hearts. We want to pray, Lord, that when people come in a couple of weeks' time, they will come ready to hear the gospel and that there would be a response to the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that when you reveal yourself, we know that people respond to you. That's what happened to each and every one of us who've given our lives to you and you are continuing to do that salvation work until you come back again and we want to pray lord that that would be the mark of this church and this season that we would be faithful to your call faithful to do the work you've given us to do and may we see many many lives come and surrender hearts to jesus christ in jesus name amen good morning everyone uh, it's good to be with you this morning for those of you who don't know who i am my name is joe i'm one of the elders on staff and uh, it's wonderful to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. And it's great to see so many faces. I think the last time I preached, there's only 50 in the room. And to see at least double that is, is wonderful. Um, so if you have your Bibles, will you please open them up to Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. That is the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. If you're joining us online, it should be on the TV or a device that you're looking at. It also will be on the screen uh, behind you as well as I read. That is Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. It goes as follows. It says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn? But according uh, to the promise, his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and earth which, in which righteousness dwells. Let us pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful for your word. It's such an encouraging word this morning, and I pray for us as we listen to it that you would stir in us a deep, deep desire for you, that you would help us, Lord, as a church to have our minds set on heavenly things, 
that we would not be focused on the things of this world, but we would strive and live in light of all that you are. And Lord, would this hope that we have be solidified in our hearts so that we, like Romans 8 verse 18, can say the suffering of this present time isn't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us and that we would believe that, hold to that, and live in light of this wonderful, wonderful hope that you have secured for us through your death and resurrection. Amen. So we've been... Sorry, uh, this is the problem when you don't have the hand, uh, the mic anymore. You don't have two hands. Uh, man, we've been journeying through Second Peter for quite some time, and I just we've been in chapter three now. This is, will be our third week, so I just want to give you a bit of a brief update of where we at, um, and just help us to figure out what Peter is trying to say and what he's trying to emphasize. Uh, we, if you recall, have pointed out that chapter 3 is mainly and primarily a focus on the second coming of Jesus and what Jesus is going to do when he arrives. Where chapter 2 was a little bit more difficult, a little bit more hard, talking about false teachers and the difficulty that it, it comes uh, with noticing them and what you need to watch out for. Chapter 3, he turns to this wonderful hope that we have in the second coming. And in the first sermon that we spoke about this, we referred and spoke about Paul, uh, Peter's response to the scoffers, those who had come along and were saying, well, is the second coming really true? Is it real? Uh, because if we look, Jesus hasn't arrived yet. Where is your Jesus? Why hasn't he returned yet? And so Peter responds to these scoffers in two ways. One, he reminds us as believers that our faith is a matter of revelation. It's, in other words, God has revealed himself to us. We haven't thought this up ourselves. We haven't conjured this up in our minds. We haven't just come up to this clever idea of this, what uh, this is all about, but rather God has shown himself to us. And no more so than with the second coming. It isn't something that the apostles thought up but rather God showed to them, and he showed it to us through the Old Testament uh, prophets and also through the apostles in Jesus' uh, day. And in the second uh, part that he kind of tackles the scoffers is he goes to say, well, actu in actual fact, if you look over history, God has always given judgments, and at times he has delayed. He has taken time. And a great point and example of that is the example of Noah. Noah receives this wonderful, oh, not wonderful, he receives this warning, watch out, judgment is going to happen, rain is going to come, there's going to be a flood, and, and everyone will be destroyed, uh, but preach this uh, message of repentance and tell people, and he does, but how long does it take? From the day Noah is first told to the day of when the judgment actually happens, it takes 120 years. And so Peter refers to history and example saying, be, be wary to say, oh, it's not happening because time has taken, uh, time has, a lot of time has passed, but rather know for certain that it is going to happen because just because God seems to be delaying, judgment will come. It did rain. Noah was vindicated and judgment happened. And then last week, Mark tackled the really difficult topic of God and time and God's relation to time. And, and really what Peter says here, he, he shifts gears from focusing on the scoffers to us as believers. He says, don't forget this one fact, beloved. He's talking to us as Christians. And he encourages us with these rather strange words, but wonderful words, where he says, for God, uh, well, a, a thousand years to God is like one day. 
In, in other words, he's saying what, God, what we might seem to think that God would take a thousand years to do, in actual fact, he is able to accomplish that in one day. And so with regards to the second coming, sometimes we look at the signs, we look at all that's going on, and we go, man, God seems to be taking his time. There's still so many things to do that he has revealed to us in Scripture that he's going to do. This is a far-off hope that might never come in our day. But the reality is that actual fact, God could do it like this. Because what God could do, in a, what we think God could do in a thousand years, actual fact, he could do in a day. But he also gives us a bit of insights on why there might be a bit of delay behind God's uh, arrival. And he goes on to say it's because God doesn't want any to perish. That God is being patient with those who don't know him because he's wanting them and giving them as much time as possible for them to come to faith in his son, Jesus. And I am certainly thankful, and I know all of you who are Christian in this room are certainly thankful for he didn't come before you were, were saved. I'm grateful he didn't come 17 years ago because then Joe knew all the information in my head about whether or not God, about God, but I had not yet come to know him personally. It happened when I was 14. And so I'm grateful that there was a bit of a delay and, and there's this tension within us as Christians. We long for the day of coming. We want him to arrive, but at the same time, we are also going, well, could you just hold off a bit because I have family members, friends, children, etc., that, that don't necessarily know Christ, that I long and hope that they will. So Lord, come, but wait, save them first. And this is the tension that is within us. And so Part of verse 10 kind of really links closely to this idea of time and when God is going to arrive. And it says these words. It says, the day of the Lord, which is another day of the second coming, um, another name for the second coming, says, comes like a thief. The day of the Lord comes like a thief. And the second coming of Christ is going to be marked with a suddenness and uh, unexpectedness. It's going to just suddenly arrive. If you've ever had the unfortunate event of falling prey to the hand of a thief, you know that you know it's possible, but it's always unexpected, right? You know that it's possible that somebody could break into your house, but when it happens, it still catches you horribly off guard. It still shocks you. I, don't want to, I know I've shared this story before, so I don't want to harp on it too much. My wife warned me, you've shared this before, you need another story. But uh, we've had our house broken into. In, in the past, many moons ago before we had children, and uh, it was the most unexpected events that we had gone through at that time. Um, we had family over for dinner. We had, friend, uh, we had my mother, my stepfather, my grandfather over. We were eating incredible food. We were, I still remember we were eating curry bunnies, butter chicken. I'm not a spicy guy, but that, is a, that was a, a nice food, eating it, laughing, joking, dreaming around the tab table, enjoying community and family. And, and it was in that time that my wife heard a thud in the bathroom. And so uh, we stayed in a really small flat at the time. And, and she got up and she could only have to take like three steps and she could look down the passage into the bathroom and she saw nothing. So we carried on. We just ate and we went on as it was and we had dessert and we said goodbye to the family. I went and sat down and watched some cricket. South Africa were playing in Australia. We had started off really badly. And on the
it's going. So I pop down the couch, quickly turn on to see the score. My wife calls me from the, the bathroom, come and look at this. And I'm, a, to be honest, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and I, I get up and I go look. And as I'm looking around, I, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Something's not right here. It's a bit of dirt on the floor. I, I had definitely cleaned before my mother arrived because I knew I'd hear about it. And so I cleaned up and this, why is this dirt here? And while I'm so unexpected of this is happening, what's going on? My wife walks into our bedroom and someone was there. Long story short, we weren't hurt. They didn't take anything. They escaped. Three months later, they were caught. Detectives did their job and they're in prison. So God, God's good. But what I want to bring, the point I want to bring across to you is how unexpected it is. Man, we had people in our house. This was six, seven in the evening, not early hours of the morning. Or, and while we were all sleeping, when it was dark, we, our lights were on. We were, we were laughing. We were dreaming. We were drinking. We were eating. It was a jolly time. And in that, here comes a thief. And so will it be with Christ. It will be so unexpected. We will be dreaming. We will be laughing. We will be making plans. We'll be enjoying time with those we love. And he will arrive. And the call of Peter in this text is, are you ready? Because you know it's possible, but we knew it was possible, but we weren't ready. We weren't ready for it. And I don't want to harp on this point too much because we have spoken about it quite a bit through the series. But I do want to say this, is, is that if you've ever had this happen to you, you go from being someone, at least this was in my case, a really deep sleeper to a light sleeper. Hear every noise, every sound, up to check, ready, anticipating. I only caught the guy three months later. I was ready and waiting. If he comes, here we go. And man, we had funny noises and I had to go check it. And the same needs to be with Jesus. Are you ready? Now for this, for, for us as believers, this is not as fearful as a thief coming. Man, we long for it. We, we hope for it. But it, it is it's like a, 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 a person who's working. You don't want to be caught up with your feet up on your desk when your boss walks into your uh, office, right? You want to be seen working hard. And the same way when Jesus arrives, when our master arrives, we want to make sure that we're working. We don't want to be caught unawares, caught slacking, being lazy. In the same way, we want to make sure that we are ready. For those of you who might not know Christ, it might be a scary thing because we will see Jesus. Faith will no longer be possible and the time for belief and faith and salvation will be over because he has come and he has arrived. But that, that's as much as I'm going to talk about that uh, this morning. What I, what I do want to focus on and really emphasize is what does Jesus usher in? When Jesus arrives and when he, he comes, what does he bring? I want to look at that statement in verse 13, particularly where it talks about how Jesus will bring in and what we are longing and waiting for is a new heavens and a new earth. So I hope it's going to be an encouraging sermon to you this morning. But I think when it comes to this concept of heaven, which we will call and talk about mainly this, this morning, is when we talk about heaven, I think for most of us, we have a poor understanding of what heaven is like. And, and, and I think it is partly because we've always thought that we can't really know much about it. 
We've been told certain scriptures that say and seem to say otherwise that we are not able to understand or or even be able to imagine what God has planned for us. One of those passages is in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, which I think we take out of context. It says the following, it says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Have you ever heard that verse before? And, and really, the, the, firstly, there's a couple of things. One, it is not talking about heaven. But two, we always stop halfway through the sentence. Verse 9 is only part of a sentence. We never really ever read verse 10. Verse 10 says the following. It continues on to say, let me read it all in its entirety. It says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And it goes on to say, these things, what we haven't seen or heard or could imagine, God has revealed to us through his spirits. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. And so these things have been revealed to us. The Spirit has revealed it to us. How? Primarily through His Word. And so this verse is not saying that we can't understand what heaven is all about, but rather it is saying actually this, what we couldn't have imagined it, the Spirit has now shown us through the Word of God. We have descriptions of what heaven's going to be like. Now this is an, ex- ex- an exhaustive uh, explanation. And what I mean by that is there aren't chapters after chapters after chapters going into the minute, meticulous detail of what heaven's going to be like, but rather it is a, a accurate description. There's some wonderful descriptions that we can know, that we can look forward to and long for. So God gives us certain descriptions about what our eternal home is so that he might stir in us and set a fire in us to imagine what it's about and what it's like and to kindle a desire for this heavenly home that awaits you and me. And uh, we are to set our minds on it. We are to think of it, to live in light of it. And that would be an incredibly difficult thing to do if you have no idea what it's all about. And we see this command in Colossians 3 verse 1. It says this, Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And just to make sure we don't miss the importance on setting our our minds on things above, he goes on to say again in the very next verse, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The the word translated here, set your mind, is um, to be understood as a diligent active, single-minded investigation. It's like a racehorse. You've got your blinkers on and you are focusing purely on this thing. You are going after it. It's the same word that is used to describe the, the shepherd that is out in the field looking for his lost sheep in that parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18 verse 12, or the woman who searches for her lost coin in Luke 15 verse 8, or the merchant who is looking for the precious pearl searching for it uh, in Matthew 13 verse 45, all intensely looking for something in the same way we are intently, uh, actively, single-mindedly set our eyes on things above, on live a heaven-centered life. That's what we ought to do. And, and just to maybe go a little bit into a little deeper, it's in the present tense, which means as long as it is present, set your minds on things above. 
So as you go about your day, as you do your work, as you spend time with friends, as you drop off the kids at school, as you have conversations, as you do whatever, as it is present, set your mind on heavenly things. But here's the thing about commands, because we commanded to do that. But here's the thing about commands is that commands are often given to things that we struggle with. So, for example, in Scripture we're told, do not be anxious. It's a command. Don't be anxious. Why? Because the human tendency is to be anxious, right? I know I can guarantee every single one of us in this room has been anxious this week, if not this morning. Or later on today, we will be anxious about something. We are told to avoid certain sexual sins. Why? Because it's a human tendency to do it. But we're not told in Scripture to please do not jump off buildings. Not because people don't do it. It's just very rare, thankfully. And also, it's not our natural desire to do it. We don't have to resist it normally. So the command here to set our mind on heavenly things is an indication that we struggle to do this. As we go throughout our day, there are a thousand things that are vying for yours and mine as, as attention, trying to make us focus on earthly things rather than heavenly things, to make sure we uh, uh, structure our lives around earthly things rather than around heavenly things. And so there needs to be here an incredible intentionality of thinking of heavenly rather than earthly. Now, as I speak and say that, I'm sure that there might be some of you that are a bit concerned by that. Going, well, Joe, that doesn't just sound very practical. You might have heard it being said before, and I know I certainly have, is that you're so heavenly minded that you are no earthly goods. Have you heard that before? I see some nods. Well, C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author and thinker, uh, says the following uh, that might just be able to settle you on this issue on why it's important to do this. He says the following. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christian who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were preoccupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. And so my hope for us this morning is as we talk about heaven and some of its marks. And man, we're going to have to do a real broad, general understanding. There are far more in-depth studies that you could do of this. I could recommend a book called, by Randy Alcorn called Heaven uh, as a great read. So go and do that. Long read, easy read, lovely read. Um, it would go and uh, stretch you here. But as we focus briefly on some of the things that Scripture tells us about heaven, my hope is that we would become a church that is heavenly minded, that means we win this earth. That we become a people that are active for the kingdom of God and uh, that we aim for heaven and get earth thrown in. So, but I think if we have to be honest this morning, that if I had to pull you aside and you could tell and be honest with me, I think most of us, when we think about heaven, often we have a little bit of dread that pulls up into our hearts. 
There's a little bit of reluctance about it. And I think this is, this is true for a, a number of reasons. One, I think it is true because we have a misunderstanding of heaven. Our idea of heaven has been so shaped by culture, by the arts, by literature, uh, by even as a kid, by cartoons. The idea of heaven gets told you that. We, we often think that heaven might be this place where it is incredibly bright. There's a bunch of clouds. There are angels. There might be some fat babies playing harps. I mean, that is, that is hellishly creepy, not something to long for, right? I'm a little wary of going to a place like that. Or, or, and I heard it, and I, and I know there might be some of you who, who hold to this view that heaven is going to be one long singing song, worshipping, in a choir, worshipping long. And I, if I have to be honest, this, this morning, uh, if that's the case, while I certainly want to go he- to heaven because it's better than hell, I don't necessarily want to go there just yet because I'd rather catch a surf before I go do that. I'd rather just go for a run and get those things in because that, while that, I mean, I love worship, but to do that for the rest of eternity sounds a little weary. No, at least not for me. May God can change my heart and that could happen, but I, th- I think we have an incorrect view of what heaven is all about. And, and if I think if I had to press us even more and go, what do you think you would like heaven to be? You'd probably say something along the lines of, like this world, but just better. Man, I, I, would, I would love there to be some sport. Right, gents? It would be great if there's some sport in heaven. I'd love there to be some, some of the arts and theater and, and, and family and, and food and, and fellowship. And, and I'd, I'd love there to be nature and to enjoy these things. Just, just not as broken without the poverty, without the sickness. Without, I, would, I would love that. And, and I think if we... If, This is a good feeling to have. I don't think it's an unbiblical one to have. And here's why. Because God has deliberately made us like this. When God made Adam our forefather, how did he make him? He made him out of dust. Made him. Breathed life into him and therefore declared him as a creature. We as humans, to be human is not just to be in the spiritual space, but to have real material parts of us. To be human is to both be physical and spiritual. It's not, it's not either. So to, 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 to go to a world that is just spiritual is far better than hell, but there's something about it that we just go, man, that doesn't feel at home. That doesn't feel right. But I want to encourage us this morning that our new home that we're going to have is going to be a place that is spiritual for sure, but also material. And we see that in our text this morning in verse 13, it tells us this. It says, it says, but according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. So God clearly here wants us to have a, a, a desire and to be able to imagine certain parts of heaven that we can grasp and understand. And one of those descriptions is a new earth. So often we talk about heaven, but actual fact where we're going to be living on is the new heavens and the new earth. The, that's where we're going to be. And, the, and an earth that is described in heaven is going to, this, this heavenly place that we're going to be in is going to be a place where there's going to be rivers and trees and animals. There's going to be food and drinking and wine. For some of you, that's made heaven a whole lot better. For some of you, you question whether heaven's uh, not perfect anymore. But there's going to be this place of, of 
eating and drinking and fellowship and others and, and nature. That, that's what heaven uses those descriptions to get our imagination going. It also talks about the fact that there will be cities. We see this in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. It talks about how the new Jerusalem, which is a city, gives dimensions. It goes into detail about it. It's going to come down onto earth, and God will come down as well. So it's going to be on this earth. Also, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10, it says this about Abraham's faith. It says, for he was looking forward to the city uh, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so there's going to be cities. And here's the thing about cities, they're going to be functional. And so we can imagine cities. We know what cities look like. They're going to be functional cities that happen. And I know sometimes, particularly if you've grown up in East London, you think city, you go, oh, it's not great. You think of uh, Oxford Street, middle of uh, Oxford Street. You think of Hillbrow. You think of big, nasty centers like that. But, but really, there are some wonderful aspects of cities. There's... There's restaurants, there's theater, there's productions, there's entertainments, there's work. There are elements to it that are incredibly... Think of the wonderful people hustling and bustling in the street, laughter, just being able to enjoy the cultures that are around you. These are things that await us. And as I've already mentioned, there will be vocation. I know that doesn't sound like heaven for some of you, that there's going to be work to have to do, but it's not going to be the work that is being cursed. It's, the curse is gone. It's been defeated by Jesus. It's not, not going to be the, the sweat of the brow anymore. We're going to have work and responsibility. Thank goodness for some of you. That makes heaven a whole lot better thing. Sitting on a beach all forever sounds boring. There's going to be things to do. There are going to be libraries. We're going to grow in our knowledge. I, I, I don't think we're going to get to heaven and just know absolutely everything about everything. Man, our brains are going to function at a, an ability that they've never functioned before, but we're going to be able to discover this universe in which God has given us and, and, and be blown away by him and, and love him. This is, this is what awaits us. And I, I hadn't planned on saying it this morning, but I do think, I wasn't going to talk about reward, but I do think one of the many elements of reward, at least this is my personal opinion, is that we are, uh, how responsible we are with what God has given us here will be determined of the responsibility that we will get in the next. And, and so, again, it doesn't matter what we are given or, or what uh, vacation we end up doing. I certainly don't know. There's going to be hopefully no pastors in heaven. And, and so I, I don't know what I'm going to give him. But it's going to be enjoying. It's going to be, it's going to be satisfying. You're going to wake up and dance to work every morning for the glory of Christ and the embitterment of everyone you serve. It's going to be wonderful. Absolutely something that we get to be able to delight in. So, so there are parts of heaven and the new earth that we are going to be a part that we can understand, that we can get, that we can get excited about. I hope as I say that this morning, there's parts of you that are going, man, that sounds far better than floating on a cloud, playing with harps. There's, I'm sure there's going to be some awesome harps up there, but it's going to be on a new earth enjoying some stuff, and I hope that excites you, but there is certainly a part of it that we cannot quite grasp. It's going to be far better than we can imagine. There is that certain element to it, and the reason for that is because, well, there's a number. One, we cannot understand a world that has no sin. Can you imagine government that is perfect? Any form of leadership, we cannot fathom what that will be like, but yet we all have it. Can you imagine a world with no jealousy? 
No, no, a world with no hatred and there will be no poverty and, and there will be no sickness and sadness and anxiety. Can you imagine a world like that? I don't think we can, but we can try, but it, we, we just can't imagine the joy that is waiting for us. But also, the elements that we even know of are probably going to be far greater than we can anticipate. And we see this in the, in the Jerusalem city that is spoken about in Revelations, is that we have here an element where they will be, um, where he talks about the new Jerusalem, he talks about how the streets are going to be paved with gold. Now, I don't think every street ever in the whole new world would be paved with gold. I might be wrong. But they're certainly far better than the dusty roads that would have been referring to the people that understood in those times. There's a massive upgrade. So the, the, the gates that lead into the city of Jerusalem are going to be made out of one giant pearl. There is a huge upgrade that is coming our way that we just can't even possibly imagine. It's, and I, I want to just point out here that this makes Christ so much greater than what he's done for us so much greater. Why? Because Jesus hasn't just redeemed us to an old Eden. He hasn't just defeated the enemy because the enemy tried to destroy it all and seemed like he was going to win it. And I just restored it back to what it once was. What Christ goes and does is he, oh, you want to you damage this? Oh, well, watch me. I'm not only going to just make it as it was, I'm going to make it far better. I'm going to make it far better than ever it was. We see that with ourselves. We were morally neutral before God as his creator. Sin comes in. We die. God comes and redeems us. And now we become sons and daughters. It's, it's far greater. And so it is with the world that we're going to live in. It's going to be far greater than the one that we have here. But it's not going to be so foreign that we don't feel at home. It's going to be glorious. Always. And so that every single part of what we have is going to be redeemed by Christ. Every molecule, all of it, is going to be far greater. But not only is the, the world going to be greater, so are our bodies. We are going to get glorious, resurrected bodies. We're going to, they're going to function oh, far better than they were. They, they're going to be, PJ Smith says, they're going to transform our lowly body into, uh, to be like a glorious body. Our current uh, perishable bodies, uh, body will become imperishable. Our, our mortal bodies will become immortal. And we will bear the image of Christ. We will have this physical body like Jesus. PJ continues to say, although we are currently in the image of Adam, the, uh, the man of dust, we shall then take on the image of Jesus, the man of heaven, and we will be like him. Our bodies won't be subject to pain or suffering or sickness, and they're going to be functioning far better than we can possibly imagine. Now that for the youngsters in the room might seem quite cool, but not nearly as acceptable for those of you whose bodies might not function like they used to. As you get older and things don't do what they want to do and the hands don't listen like they used to, the eyes don't see like they used to in the past, so this looks far more exciting. And, and, and can, you, can you imagine what this must be like for the paralytic, paraplegic, or, or someone who has uh, disabled physically or mentally, or, or for the parents that have children that are, are, are Down syndrome and the hope of one day having them restored. The hope of having bodies and minds that are going to function perfectly again is something that you and I get to look forward to. 
there, there is a, there's a lady called Toni Erickson Tarder. She's a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. She's the most incredible woman. At the age of 17, she dived into a bay, misjudging the sandbank, and she broke her neck. And, and she's had a ministry for 40 years. She paints with a mouth far better than I can paint with my hands. I can't paint to save my life, but she does amazing work. But not only that, she has run ministries and helped millions of people. And she makes this comment about the, her new body that she will be getting in heaven. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent uh, fingers, uh, a trope, uh, sorry, uh, muscles, uh, gnarled knees, uh, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will uh, one day have a body uh, light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that this gives someone like me or someone who has cerebral palsy, brain damage, or, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other uh, philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And this is our hope that we have. It is the hope that we have with Christ's death and resurrection. It's why we hold to it so much, knowing that he has risen and been raised again physically, that we too will one day be raised again, getting glorious bodies like his. This is the hope that we have. Hope that excites you. Because it certainly does me. And on top of this, we know as well that those at whom we have lost, those who loved Christ but yet have gone to pass on, that we will see them, we will recognize them, we will be with them, and we are going to delight in them. And we're going to be there with them for the rest of eternity. This is the hope that we have. But the crown of heaven... The absolute crown jewel of heaven is not so much this wonderful, glorious new body that we're going to be given. It's not so much the heavens, the new heavens and earth that we're going to dwell on and enjoy the fruits and, and all of that it has to hold, but the fact that we will be with God himself. Again, Revelations 21 verses 1 to 4 talks about how God comes down to us. We're not going to be with him, but he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to come and dwell with us and we will be his people and he will be our God. In actual fact, it goes on to say that he's the one that wipes away our tears. He's the one that makes us have no pain anymore. All these glories of eternity are possible because he will be with us. He will be with us. Without him being there, those would have been good, but yet it would not fully satisfy us because it is in God alone that we are fully satisfied here on this earth and in the earth to come. This is what we wait for. And we, and we see this in, expressed beautifully in Psalm 63 verse 1, this famous passage. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We can imagine a thousand things that you and I want. But even if we are, were able to get all thousand and enjoy them, we would still be left unsatisfied if we did not get God. Because it's in, in enjoying these things that they, we, we only get to enjoy them to a certain point. But what our soul really longs for, what we really thirst after, is God himself. He's the one that satisfies us. And so heaven is going to be a place of full satisfaction because God himself is going to be there and we get to enjoy him. Going to enjoy him. Now that doesn't mean we don't enjoy amazing things. No, certainly we will. 
But in enjoying those things in actual fact, as I've said before in the past, what happens is we in heaven will learn to worship him through enjoying those things. So let me explain. I hope I get this right because it's so important. Man, in heaven, we, I, I spoke about how there's, there's going to be uh, potentially theaters and productions that are going to take place. Let's use that example. Can you imagine the most brilliant minds that are now released to their full capacity with all the creativity possible, what kind of productions we're going to watch? Beautiful amazing, these glorious productions that will happen. And as we watch them and enjoy them and are, are blown away by the creativity of others that get to put these things together, we're going to come away being blown away, not by so much the production, yes, we will enjoy it, but the fact that God has given us this creativity. That the people who are so creative to be able to make all of these things, that he himself is the ultimate creator. And so we come away going, oh, wow, that was good, but God, you are glorious. And so in heaven, we will enjoy those things, but what happens is our joy rolls up into worship of God. It will be the same with food as we delight in eating it and as we partake and taste these glorious heavenly flavors. We will, we will be, wow, can you taste that? Oh, Lord, you were amazing that you could make such flavors. It will roll up into a worship of him. Now, I just want a bit of a disclaimer and a bit of a, a side note. We can do that now, but heaven's going to be like that perfectly all the time. And so, so will we worship for eternity? Yes, we will. But it's not only going to be singing songs, but in every asset of life that he has created me to do and enjoy, I will love him and enjoy him and be satisfied, full of joy. Because of every aspect that I do will be a glorification of who God is. As I see creation's beauty, the colors and the, the expanse of what he has made, it will be, wow, God, look how beautiful you are. And I will worship forever and be fully satisfied always. That's what waits for you. You'll be fully satisfied because he will be there and you'll be able to delight in him in all the activities to you. All right. And I just want to clarify, I'm not saying there's not going to be worship songs. We are going to have some of the most incredible worship sessions you will have never experienced on earth. I remember, I'm getting sidetracked, by the way. I'm just letting you know. I remember when I was in 2010, uh, we just had Soccer City was built. And, uh, and South Africa played New Zealand in a rugby match uh, uh, there for the first time. And I had the privilege of, of going. And there was 94,000 of us in that stadium, and we all sung Kosi Sikilele. 94 before we played the All Blacks. You can imagine hair standing on end kind of stuff. And I remember standing there that day going, goosebump moments, this is amazing. And going, what happens is going to be like when there, there are going to be a multitude that cannot count singing the praises to our God. <laughs> Man, we're going to do that for a long time, I'm sure, because we're going to, it's going to be glorious. But when we leave from doing that and we go back to our homes and we go back to eating, go back to working, this delight and satisfaction in God is not going to dwindle or die away, but rather in heaven we will have a fullness of joy that lasts forever. Christian, this is your hope. This is what awaits you. 
this is what awaits. Do you see the importance of fixing your mind on this? When you have this perspective of eternity, earthly things really become pitiful or nothing. It seems silly to make our life all about now and not about the next. It seems wise to heed the words of Jesus to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Because this is the glorious hope that awaits us. This is what Christ has bought for you and will give you freely. He has done so much for you. I want to I wrap up with some quick reflections on what we should do. How do we react to this? Well, one, we live in a, as a living hope. While heaven is a, a far way off, it's a future reality. It's not something that's here. It's a, it's a not yet thing. It's been bought, it's been secured for us, but we have to wait for it. It even says in our text, the, the waiting of, of for, for the coming of Jesus as we wait for it. But it gives us hope now. We live as a people of hope. We, we, we live in light of uh, one, uh, Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That we are endure hardship. We live for the glory of Christ. We, we make sure that we give our lives to him now with the hope. Even in the midst of trial. Because we know that, that one day it will be taken away. And we will have this glorious hope that will be true and realized. The second one is that we will grieve with hope. We will grieve with hope. Tragedy will strike us. Sin will still have its effect on us now. We will unfortunately lose loved ones. We will go through hardship. But as we do that, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Because we know that this is not the be all and end all. We know what is to come is eternal. That will make time feel here like a, a drop in the ocean, if not less. And we get to enjoy this glorious hope that is coming our way. So yes, we grieve, of course. But we grieve differently, knowing that one day it will all be put to an end. We also live holy lives. We live lives of holiness and godliness. Peter says so in our text this morning. He says we are to live lives of holiness and godliness. Whereas we are, are to set our minds on heaven always. We are to be a people that think about it, dwell on it, make life decisions based on what is to come our way, stir up hope in our hearts, make sure we have peace that this is where we come. We set our minds on this always, as long as it is present. And as a result, we cast off the sinfulness of this world. We don't pursue the passions now of this world, but we pursue being satisfied in Jesus. We get so attractive with the glorious riches of heaven that we don't desire the, the poor man's treasures here on earth. And lastly, and I think this is what we churches, God has been saying to us constantly, is we share this hope. We share this hope. We go and tell others about this Jesus. Others about what they can potentially have through Christ, what he has done for them. He has not only just saved them from eternal punishment, but he has bought for them a potential son and daughter status in a glorious kingdom that will last forever on the new heavens and earth. And we are passionate for that and we want others to join us. We're not going to be selfish in that. We want them to enjoy it as well. And so we are bold and courageous and willing to be shamed and mocked and ridiculed in the hope that they might join us. I want to end with this quote from P.J. Smythe. It says the following. It says, Because death is merely a change of address rather than the end, and because heaven and hell are real, 
and because people must believe in Jesus during their short life on earth, there must be an urgency to our evangelism. The time is short. As long as it is day, we must do work of him who sent me. Night is coming when, can, when no one can work. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to go into time of reflection. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. What has God been saying to you this morning? What is it one thing? Has he encouraged you? Has there been a stirring of hope in your heart? Maybe just let that solidify. Maybe it was what we prayed about earlier and just to reaffirming again that you need to go and share this hope with others. Maybe you just need to think and set your minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things below. And you need to be determined to do that. Maybe it's just a praise in your heart. Let's, let's, let's do that. Father, we are absolutely blown away this morning by your great grace toward us. That you have given us this wonderful home. We get along for this new heaven and new earth that you have guaranteed for us. That we get to walk with you. We get to be in the full, uncorrupted presence of God where there'll be no more sin, no more pain. Oh Lord, where there'll be a fullness of joy and a satisfaction in the things that you have made and in you. Oh Lord, we long for that day. And we ask, like the apostle did, come, Lord Jesus, come. But Lord, as we wait, we're going to try hasten as quickly as we can that day by sharing our faith with as many people as possible. And so, Lord, we ask that you would place in us a deep conviction to share our faith. That, Lord, you'd give us eyes to see you moving so that we might be a part of it, so that we might go and tell others about you. Oh, Lord, would you stir up a living hope in us? We don't want to be people that are hopeless before we have this glorious hope that has been secured for us. And so, Lord, may we live with hope. May we be characterized by hope and joy in you, knowing that this is guaranteed for us because it's been bought with the blood and resurrection of Jesus. And we long for this day. May we be a hope a church that has this hope flowing through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? We are going to worship the God that has bought all of this for us. Let's praise Him. Where justice and mercy
now, why don't you just lift up your own prayer of faith? What you are waiting on God for. That thing that He's speaking into your heart, into your mind now. Lift it up in prayer. In the hope that we have. In the incredible love of our Lord.
just got a sense in the room as we come to a close here this morning that some of us are facing some tough things in our lives it's creating some question marks and I just feel that the Lord wants to say to you this morning continue 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 I'm with you I'm going to lead you home I just feel there's people in the room I don't know what it is but there's stuff you need to trust God for and I sense Him saying to you I'm with you and if you need to stay around for another song uh, to let the Holy Spirit minister to you in that way please do so if you want to come up for some prayer please do so but we're going to close out the service now for the rest of us. So, Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that as we go now from this place, we go now into this beautiful Sunday. Yes, it's hot, but there's so much hope in this day for us. There's so much opportunity. Maybe some of us are going to have a lunch with uh, people we can invite to church, to Easter service. Lord, would you lay that on our hearts strongly? Show us where you've got us to work in this vineyard, Lord. May we be motivated to put our hands to the work you've given to us as we wait for you to come back. Thank you, Lord, that we've got so much to look forward to in you, so much to look forward to in heaven. We want to be faithful as we serve you to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. So I encourage you to head out. You can uh, relax under the the tent in the, the heat. But if you want some ministry up at the front here please come to the front we'll pray with you if you just want to worship quietly on your own pray to the lord uh, you're welcome to do so as well but that is the end of the service we'll see you next week and we'll see you next week online as well